I'm going to read our passage for today, Micah chapter 3. And then we will get into it. Here it is. Then I said, now listen, leaders of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel. Aren't you supposed to know what is just? You hate good and love evil. You tear off people's skin and strip their flesh from their bones. You eat the flesh of my people. After you strip their skin from them and break their bones and chop them up like flesh for the cooking pot, like meat in a cauldron, then they will cry out to the Lord. But he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at, the time, at that time because of their crimes they have committed. This is what the Lord says concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who proclaim peace when they have food to sink their teeth into, but declare war against the one who puts nothing in their mouths. Therefore, it will be night for you without visions. It will grow dark for you without divination. The sun will set on these prophets, and daylight, the daylight will turn black over them. Then the seers, which is another word for prophets, will be ashamed. The diviners are disappointed, and they will cover their mouths because there will be no answer from God. As for me, however, I am filled with power by the Spirit of the Lord, with justice and courage, to proclaim Jacob's rebellion to Israel his sin. Listen to this, leaders of the house of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel who abhor justice, who pervert everything that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed, and Jerusalem with injustice. Her leaders issue rulings for a bribe. Her priests teach for payment. Her prophets practice divination for silver. Yet they lean on the Lord saying, man, isn't the Lord among us? No disaster will overtake us. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become ruins. Its temple, temple, the temple's mountain will be a high thicket. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we humble ourselves in your presence here this morning, just acknowledging you as our rock, our fortress, our king who lives. Lord lives, and blessed be the rock, and may the God of our salvation be exalted, Lord. Uh, we are here to um, hear from heaven, hear your word uh, preached to us. Lord, I pray that we would have um, soft hearts, humble hearts, receptive hearts, repentive hearts, and that we might see the glory and beauty, uh, your glory and beauty shining through your Son, the Lord Jesus, by the power of your Spirit, in Christ's name, amen. All right, if you're joining us for the first time, we are uh, in a teaching series uh, called Future Now, where we're looking at the book of Micah. So let me recap real quick, just because just it's been a couple uh, weeks that we've been in this. Uh, the book of Micah is a prophetic book in the first part of the Bible called the Old Testament, and a little section of books called the Minor Prophets. Right, it's 12 books. Uh, it was originally called the Twelve. It was, uh, these books were uh, composed on one scroll, one big scroll, the 12 Minor, minor Prophets, and Micah uh, is a part of them. And Micah is essentially three sermons, basically. Three messages of judgment, of warning, judgment, and hope. Right? Micah, throughout seven chapters, he warns the people, he says judgment is coming, and then he provides uh, a word of hope to those who are, are, are listening. So chapter 3, um, in, in case you didn't see that, is warning and judgment, and it is directed towards the leadership of Israel. Why is that? Why does God, or Micah, put the leadership on trial? 
The reason is because everything is built upon leadership. It doesn't matter what it is. Families, our community out here, our state, our nation, churches, it doesn't matter. Everything is built upon leadership. That's the first thing that we want to see from this passage. And I'll show you Micah chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. It even says it here. Listen to this, leaders of the house of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel who abhor justice, pervert everything is right. Look at this. Who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with injustice. So Micah is speaking to several groups of people here who are responsible for building the community. He says, leaders, prophets, priests. This is the, leaders, this is the leadership structure uh, of the nation of Israel. And they were the family leaders. Actually, the word leader here is, the Hebrew word is the word head. It, they were the head of the families and the head of the tribes. All right, so these are fathers and community leaders. They were the local leaders. They were national leaders, spiritual leaders, religious leaders. And Micah here takes aim at the politicians first. Now, some people say that you shouldn't talk about uh, politics in church. Why not? Why don't you think about it? If that's where you're at, give me five good reasons afterwards. They've got to be good reasons. Why not? I'm just kidding. Um, here's the deal. Um, it, it, people say, you know, you shouldn't talk about politics uh, uh, in the church, right? Well, everyone else can. Why can't we? Think about that. Everyone else can talk about politics, but you guys up in the church, y'all can't. That's, that's kind of weird, isn't it? Here's the deal. It's hard not to talk about politics uh, when it comes to being a Christian because we serve a king. That's kind of political. Like, we serve a king. His name's Jesus. And Jesus claimed to have all authority over all earthly politicians. So there's Jesus, and then there's politics underneath of his feet. And Jesus also put his stamp upon all the prophets. Jesus says, I agree with Micah. And what is Micah talking about? He's talking about leaders. He's talking about politicians. Look what he says in verse uh, 1 through 3. Then I said, now listen, leaders of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, aren't you supposed to know what is just? You hate what is good and love evil. You tear people's skins off. Uh, you, you tear off people's skin and you strip their flesh from their bones. You eat the flesh of my people after you strip their skin off of them, break their bones. You chop them up like flesh for the cooking pot, like meat in a cauldron. So Micah here preaches this word of judgment against the leaders of his day because they don't know what justice is. That's what he says. These leaders were given the responsibility for building their community, but instead they devour their community. They tear it down. They don't do uh, what is right and do uh, what is good. Um, I went on uh, vacation a couple weeks ago, and we, uh, we went out to eat at an Italian restaurant, and uh, I ordered some calamari for uh, appetizer, and it was, like, it was like a plate like that, right? And I was just popping this calamari. It was, just, it, was, it was so good, right? I felt like I had like a couple squid like wrapped around my, my stomach. There still might be one uh, in there, but I just gobbled it all up, right? And that's what these leaders uh, were doing. They were taking advantage of their responsibility and their authority, and they were devouring uh, their community. And in Micah uh, chapter 1, verse 3 puts it like this. You eat the flesh of my people. You see that? It's not talking about cannibalism. This is poetry. It's a, it's a 
graphic picture of their lust for greed and their corruption and wanting to control uh, people. And uh, these things always lead to bloodshed, always lead to people getting hurt, blood being spilled. And the reason, Micah says, that they don't know how to do what is right and what is just is because they love evil. They love evil and hate what is good. And that is the world that we live in today. That is the world that we live in. Politicians who love evil and hate what is good. Uh, there's a guy uh, this week uh, who became famous. His name's Oliver Anthony. Uh, he's a farmer from Farmville. Sounds like he's living in the right place. Uh, and uh, he, he wrote a song called Rich Men North of Richmond. Chances are, if you've been watching any media or you have social media, you, you saw this. Uh, it came like top song in the, in the country, I believe. Uh, but here's what he says in the song. Living in a new world with an old soul, these rich men north of Richmond, Lord knows, they all just want to have control. And the song is really a, a song of political protest, right? It is saying that the politicians north of Richmond and D.C. have a lust for control and for greed. And in interviews, he's clear that he's not, like, picking sides here. He's talking about anybody who wants to control, anybody who has a lust for greed, and that ultimately hurts people. So let me just, like, squeal the tires on this thing for a minute, okay? As Christians, we believe the Bible clearly teaches and church history clearly ver verifies that abortion is murder, that is bloodshed, that gay marriage is legislated evil, that drag queen story hour is perverted. And people can say what they want about where that makes us uh, politically. I really don't care. But there are rich men north of Richmond making a killing off stuff like this, and they want to control people. They want to control Christians and tell us, uh, force us uh, to believe certain things and to practice certain things and not say certain things, not preach about uh, certain things because they are making a killing off stuff like this. They're getting rich. Because they love evil, and they hate what is good, and they are blind to the fact that these things don't build communities. They devour them. And I'll, I'll show you why. People say, man, kids are the future. Kids are the future. But if that's the case, abortion, uh, abortion kills the future. Right? Because the, uh, the, these little babies are future men and women, future families, future builders of our culture and, and uh, leaders in our community. Gay marriage does not build the community. It doesn't. It's a fruitless endeavor because you have to have male and female united in a covenant before God to have marriage. As one pastor says, it's gay mirage, right? It is not marriage. By definition, you need male and female to be fruitful and to have a future and to build something. Next, Micah fires away at the prophets and the priests. Look at verse 5. This is what the Lord says concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who proclaim peace when they have food to sink their teeth into, but declare war against, my, against the one who puts nothing in their mouths. Verse 11, her leaders issue rulings for a bribe, her priests teach for a payment, and her prophets practice divination for silver. Yet they lean on the Lord saying, isn't the Lord among us? No disaster will overtake us. So, Mike is talking to the prophets and the priests here. These were the spiritual and religious leaders of the society. And Micah and the Lord got a big problem with them. Uh, you guys ever have a problem with your GPS? 
Google Maps, Apple, I don't know, whatever you use it, you know, it's like, hey, make this exit, right? And then you make that exit, and it takes you back down the other end of the highway and got you going back that direction again. So on vacation, yeah, my, my uh, GPS led me astray several times. And that's what these priests and prophets were doing. They were leading by example. They were teaching and preaching certain things. They were saying, hey, go this way. And they were leading God's people astray, leading them away from God, leading them away from uh, his word. And it was their greed and their loving to be liked which dictated what they said because they were preachers and teachers. Their lust for money and their love for being accepted and liked determined what they preached about. All right, and, the, and the longer that I, I'm a pastor and a Christian, uh, the more I see what uh, Mikey is saying is so common uh, in the world, so common in the church, so common in the community, and it is evil. And this type of wickedness is right here in our own community. Micah was a hillbilly preacher, and he was not afraid to confront his own people. So Micah's words of judgment and warning are for pastors and churches with the same lust today. And what does that look like? What does it look like to have a lust for money and to be liked? Well, I'll give you a couple examples. It looks like pastors being competitive with one another. Right? When they think they got to compete with other churches for people or for money, not working together on mission for Christ to see the gospel proclaimed, not uh, hanging out with one another, not loving one another, not pursuing relationships with one another, partnerships uh, with one another, but instead being distant, being cold, not being friendly, not even acting like Christians because they're competitive. Right? And not doing what uh, a Christian in the community in another church uh, did to me this morning. He said this. Hope you have a great service today, and I'm believing for God to move in a crazy way today for our church. That's how it ought to be. I've heard this lovely statement a couple times since we planted this church from other Christians and and pastors. We've already got enough churches in this community. Well, thank you. Thanks for being welcoming. Um, Statements like that are proof that we need more and better churches. Right here, here's, here's another example. It looks like pastors who do what they do to get a paycheck. There's nothing wrong with uh, pastors being paid, just like uh, Pastor Brandon uh, that we just, heard, we just heard about. Like if a pastor devotes his time completely to the work of the church, like he got to feed his family somehow. You know, you know people supported Jesus, right? Yeah, we got to take care of them. Um, but what isn't biblical and what isn't right who is pastors who do it for the money, right? And most of the time, this doesn't take the form of like pastors trying to get rich and having a nice car and, you know, fancy clothes and all, all that. Here, here's what it looks like. It looks like them being afraid of offending people. I better not say this. I better not preach on this. I better not talk about this. They might leave. What happens if I confront this person about this issue in their life? What happens if I sit down and talk to them? You know, maybe they, maybe they won't give, maybe, maybe this generous donor in the church uh, won't give anymore. I'll, I'll let the person who has uh, the most money in the church dictate the direction of the church rather than Jesus. That's what it looks like. These type of pastors are looking for a career, and they're not looking for a calling. They're not called, right? They're just looking to make sure that that money is in their bank account 
uh, every week. And this is, the Bible calls this being a hireling, right? That they are there just to, just to go through the motions and do the job and get the money. They're not there because they actually want to proclaim, thus saith the Lord from the Scriptures. Um, we, uh, we also went uh, ziplining on vacation, which is fun because I'm scared of heights. Um, but the guide said it was completely safe, other than the fact that if I, did, if I, didn't, if I put my hand in the wrong place, like my arm was going to get ripped out of socket out of my shoulder, right? And they warned me, don't touch this wire or whatever. You know, it's going to rip your arm off, right? So Micah here is warning God's people. Right? The judgment that Micah says is coming for those who do not turn away from their wicked ways, who do not turn to the Lord to listen to him. Right? And, he, and Micah says the judgment for these type of things is silence from God. God's silence is his sentence. And what you think about it is the worst possible judgment is silence from God because we were created for a relationship with God. We were created to walk with God, to hear his voice. If you don't hear God's voice, you don't know who you are. Or you don't know what life is all about. It means you're separated from him. Right? And this is what God is saying is going to happen. Micah chapter 3, verse 4, he says it both to the leaders and the prophets and the priests uh, on down the chapter. But verse 4, he says, Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because of the crimes they have committed. A silence from God. You know, Jesus said the same thing. In his ministry, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, this is Jesus speaking. Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Depart, go away from me to a place where you won't be able to hear my voice and be in my presence. And the reason that God holds leaders accountable is because everything is built upon leadership. Right? It's a great responsibility. Homes are built on leadership. Towns like ours are built on leadership. Businesses are built on leadership. Organizations are built on leadership. Relationships, marriages are built upon leadership. States are built on leadership. Nations are built upon leadership. This is just the way God created the world. God created us in the very beginning to be fruitful, to multiply, fill the earth, to have dominion over it. In other words, we would take responsibility to go out and to build something good, something just. Something beautiful in the world. So this means that we're all builders. We're all leaders in one way or another, whether we recognize it uh, or, or not. So we ought not to think, hey, I could never be like those people. I, I could never be like those, those leaders and those prophets that we're talking about here this morning. Because the scripture says, no, there's something of those leaders and those prophets in all of our hearts. Right? Because we're all sinners. We all, by nature, do very similar things, maybe not on the level of spilling blood, but maybe, right? We, let's think about this. I'll give you a question to test your own heart. When you're making a decision, do you really consider how it's going to affect those in your family? Think about that. We may say, well, I got that. I'm good. I always think about, I always put my family first. Well, when you go to make a decision, do you consider how it's going to affect your brothers and sisters in Christ? When you go to make a decision, do you, do you consider how this is going to affect your community? All right? See, naturally, we all want to get rather than give. That's just, that's just being a sinner. Right? We, we would rather get rather than give. 
We would rather, uh, we would rather um, use people than to serve. Or there's something that needs to be done. There's something out in the world that, that God uh, says this thing needs to be done or there's a, there's a responsibility and uh, we say someone else will do it. Someone else can take the responsibility uh, for that. So here's the question. How can we not be like that? How can we not be like these leaders, these prophets, and these priests? How can we not be like the type of people who want to get rather than give, rather than use rather than serve, and be the type of people who say, I'll do it. I'll get it done. And the answer that comes to us from this text is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us to take courageous responsibility. Leadership requires courageous responsibility. That's the second thing we'll see here from this text. Micah chapter 3, verse 8. Micah's own testimony about his, his calling. As for me, however, I am filled with power by the Spirit of the Lord, with justice and courage to proclaim to Jacob his rebellion and to Israel his sin. So courageous, responsible leadership is the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit helps us to be these type of people. Courageous. Taking responsibility, saying, I'll do it, not being selfish, being givers and lovers and builders. The Bible is clear that the Holy Spirit is involved in all that God does. Think about that. Because the Lord is the Spirit. I just, that's, that's just a quotation from Scripture right there. The Lord is the Spirit. God is Trinity. This is, what Christians are, this is what it means to be a Christian. We believe in the God who is Trinity. The God who has existed in three persons for all of eternity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let me, let me give you an illustration. It's not perfect. The Father is like a business owner. He's got a vision. He's got a plan. And he sends his son, who is like a good foreman, that goes down. And he's like a good foreman. Like he, he gets his hands dirty, too. He gets involved in the work of the Father and the Spirit is the laborer, all right? The spirit, the spirit is the laborer, and we enjoy the fruit of his labor. We enjoy the fruit of the Spirit. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is a he. Think about that. The, Bible, the, the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person revealed in masculine terms, he. He is a person. He is not an it, a force, an energy of some kind, not a ghost, not something spooky, and the main way the Spirit helps us is to lead us to Jesus. That's what the Spirit does. I'll give you a quotation from Jesus. John 16, verse 14. I don't know how much clearer it could get. He will glorify me. Jesus is talking about the Spirit. He, the Spirit, will glorify me. You see that? That's the job of the Spirit. Because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit takes from Jesus all that he's done for us, and he preaches that to us. The Holy Spirit leads us to the cross where we find out that we have a similar heart to those leaders, that Jesus had to die for a reason. He had to die for sinners, right? We're all sinners, but here's the good news. There's, there's hope. Jesus died at the cross to take the judgment of God on our behalf. You know what, you know what Jesus got at the cross? Silence from God. First time in all of eternity, the Son of God couldn't hear the voice of his Father. Jesus Christ cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Jesus was banished from the presence of God so that you could be welcomed in as, as a son and daughter and hear his voice for all of eternity. That you could hear the word of God that if you believe it, you will be cleansed from all your evil. You will be cleansed from all your wickedness if you believe the word of the cross and the resurrection from the dead that Jesus rose from the dead. See, the Spirit takes from Christ and proclaims it to us in the church as the Word of God is preached, as preachers proclaim the gospel. The Spirit is like a background singer. Can you, can you imagine a background singer that, that's, that's, that's in the back right here trying to like, look at me, I'm amazing too, right? Can you imagine that? What would happen to that background singer? Sorry, it's your last night with us, right? The Spirit's job is to shine the spotlight on the Son of God, that is Jesus. The Spirit wants everyone to see Jesus. I hope you see Jesus. Churches that overly focus on the Spirit lead people away from Christ. That's why we focus on Jesus here. Let's think about it. If, if Jesus said, all right, my job, the Spirit's job is to spotlight me. This is why if we overly focus on the Spirit, we lead people away from Jesus. We want people to see Jesus here. We want you to see Jesus. We want you to see him hanging on the cross for you. I want to see, we want you to see him living for you and dying for you and being buried for you and rising from the dead for you and sitting on the throne for you and coming back for you. This is the work of the Spirit. This is what it looks like for the church to be filled up with the Spirit is to get deeper into Christ. And everyone who does see Jesus has the Spirit. There's not two classes of Christians. Whether There's some Christians who are full of the Spirit, some Christians have been baptized by the Spirit, and then there's like this, this uh, lower class of Christians who, do, who, who don't have the Spirit, who have been baptized with the Spirit. All right, that's just not right. I'll give you one uh, example of this. There's lots. But Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Check this out. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So if you belong to Jesus, what's that verse right there say? You have the Spirit of Christ. If you have the Spirit of Christ, you also belong to Jesus. Uh, my uh, first year in college, I went to a church uh, I was super thankful for. They loved me. I learned a lot uh, from them. But people would randomly scream in the service. And I was a new Christian, and I uh, didn't know what to think about that. Uh, but they seemed to think it was a good idea and that this was the work of the Spirit. So... One time I invited my whole basketball team. I was playing uh, basketball at the time. And uh, a lady like shrieked in the, in the, in the, in the, in the service. You know, and you should have seen my, the basketball. Everybody jumped, right? And it just freaked them out, you know what I mean? Um, nowhere in the Bible does it say the Spirit does stuff like that. As a matter of fact, the only uh, people that scream and shriek when they encounter uh, the Spirit are demons. So we shouldn't act like that. That's weird. Strange, it freaks people out. So don't do that here. We'll tell you to knock it off, right? The Spirit helps us to be peaceful and not chaotic, right? It ought to make sense, right? And this is what Paul uh, chapter says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40. And he's talking about a similar situation in the church. He's talking about the work of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. He says, but everything is to be done decently and in order. So 
in the church, what it looks like for the Spirit to be at work is it ought to be orderly. It ought to be decent, right? It ought not to be people shrieking, running around crazy, acting silly, and stuff like that. And I'll stop. But anyway, um, we can't do anything that God calls us to do without the Spirit. We can't do anything that he asks of us without the help of the Spirit. Where We have nowhere else to go but where the Spirit leads us to. And where does he always lead us to? To Jesus. Where else are we going to go? There's a Christian rapper. His name is No Big Deal. I like that name. But uh, a buddy of mine sent me this song uh, this past week. It's called Go With the Ghost. And it's referring to the, the Holy Spirit. Uh, there are some, I believe, versions of the Scripture that refer to the Spirit as the Holy Ghost. So this is what he's talking about the Spirit. He says, he came to my defense despite my infamy. Then I had to sit with my iniquity. Foolish gold, it always looks so glittery. To really glow, as opposed to having the gold, I had to give it to the ghost. Well, I had nowhere to go. Where could I go? Right? Where else are we going to go? To do what God calls us to do. Take the responsibility uh, that God uh, calls us uh, to do uh, other than the help of the Holy Spirit who gives us the power to do what God calls us to do. And that's exactly what Micah did. That's exactly what Micah did. Uh, we ought to do the same thing. Look at that. Look at there in verse uh, 8 again. Chapter 3, verse 8. As for me. See that? Hey, listen. I know what these leaders are doing. I know what these priests are doing. Taking money. Doing whatever they're doing. Uh, bloodshed. Acting nasty. You know? But as for me. You see that? This is what I'm going to do. However, I am filled with power by the Spirit of the Lord, with justice and courage, to proclaim to Jacob his rebellion and Israel his sin. So Micah says here that the Spirit of God gives us a three-for-one deal. That's all right, isn't it? You ever got a two-for-one deal? Hey, three-for-one deal? That's what he says here, that the Spirit gives us three things here. That is power, justice, and courage. So... If you're all about the Spirit, you got to be about those things there, there too. Courage, power, doing what's right. See, when the Spirit is at work in your life, helping you to see Jesus more clearly, you'll have more and more courage to take responsibility in your life for whatever it is that God is calling you to do. So Micah looks out and he sees all these people um, abusing their power, Forsaking their responsibility, abandoning their, their community, tearing it down, right? And he says, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll take responsibility. As for me, right? See, when you are filled up with the Spirit, it looks like running to the responsibility in your life rather than running away. How can we do that? How can we... Run to the responsibility that God is calling us to rather than running away. First, we got to hate what is evil. The leaders in this passage loved evil, right? We cannot do anything good, anything that God is calling us to, while we're doing exactly the opposite of what he says not do. Those things don't build anything, right? They, they, they tear things uh, down, Right? Our responsibility, in whatever situation, what is the situation you're in this, this week or today? 
whatever situation you're in, whether you're at home or away or whatever, at nighttime, daytime, is to hate evil. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 is clear about this. Don't just pretend to love other people, really love them. Hate what is wrong. See that? We don't hate people who aren't Christians. We don't hate people who do evil. Right? We don't hate our enemies. Jesus told us to love them and to pray for them. Right? But we do hate the evil they do. Absolutely. Right? And we ought to hate the evil that we do. It, really help, it would really help your perspective on other people, your love towards them, when you recognize that your biggest problem is the evil that you do. Yes. Our biggest problem is not the evil out there that people do. It's the evil that's inside of our own hearts of wanting to get rather than give, wanting to use rather than to serve. Someone else will do it. Right? That's, that's the, uh, the biggest problem in our life. And we have to look to Jesus to strength to run away from these things. We have to ask him, to ask the Holy Spirit, to help us to not do that, right, and to do what he's calling us to do. And second, we've got to love the good. That's what Romans chapter 12 uh, says, that we've got to hold tight, hold on to what is good. And we don't have to guess what this stuff is. He's talking about the Bible outlines for us what is good. Good here is like text message uh, abbreviation. Someone sends you LOL, right? They're abbreviating it, you know. Uh, so what is, what is good abbreviation for? Uh, the, well, this whole thing right here, this whole book right here, all that uh, God tells us uh, is good. Things like finding contentment in Jesus. You know you don't need anything else other than your life but Jesus to be content. That's what, that's what, that's what the Bible clearly says. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is what Paul said. He was in jail when he wrote that, by the way. He said, I learned the secret of being content. I know how to have a lot. I know how to have a little. And it's found in Christ and in him alone. Uh, loving the good looks like when you're alone, loving what's good. Right? When, when no one else is watching you, loving what's good. When you're with your coworkers, loving what's good. It, loving what is good looks like confessing your sins to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Are you doing that? Are you living your life with unconfessed sin? Don't do that. Right? It is crushing. Find someone that you trust, right, that you respect, that you can say, hey, I am struggling with this sin. I need help. Will you please pray for me? Uh, loving what's good looks like sexual purity outside of marriage. If you're not married, right, it looks like doing what the Bible says in regards to sex. Uh, loving what's good looks like sexual purity inside of marriage. So no lustful glances. No pornography, no stuff on Netflix that you shouldn't be watching, you know, that's dishonoring to your, uh, your spouse um, or whatever it is. Uh, loving what is good looks like seeing kids and teenagers as a blessing. All right, kids are a blessing. That's what God says. All of them, all the little kids running around here, you know, they're a blessing. Let them mess the place up. Let them tear it up. doesn't matter. All right, they're a, they're a blessing. We're not, not to talk. We ought to speak about our kids in the presence of other people as if they are a blessing, not a curse. All right? Um, looks like loving the good looks like doing what's right despite the consequences that may come. It doesn't matter what happens. We've got to do what's right. Uh, so what does it look like to run to the responsibility in your life rather than run away? It looks like building something. And you are building something in your life whether you realize it or not. 
The leaders in our passage built with blood. All right, what are you building in your life? You have to take responsibility to build something. So, let me ask you, are you moving towards responsibility or away from it? As a Christian, as a, as a growing, mature Christian, you ought to constantly be saying, yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Of course, sometimes we've got to say no. We can't, we're not God. We can't do everything. There's some things that we shouldn't do. But when the opportunities come, when the needs are presented, when there's something that needs to be done, yes, Lord, uh, I'll do it. Um, so if anything good is ever going to happen in our church, in our community, in our homes, whether it looks like uh, being a mature Christian, having a godly marriage, finding a spouse if you're single, starting a community group, raising a family, taking part in local government, washing the clothes, taking out the trash, changing the oil. Someone has to say, I'll do it. Is that your heart? I'll do it. I'll step up to the plate. I'll take responsibility uh, for this uh, thing in my life. And there are going to be all kinds of things that God calls you to that you're not going to like doing. I would say most of the things that God calls us to do aren't fun. Life is not all about fun. Despite what we hear in the world, we're constantly told. And life is constantly giving us things that, are not, that you're not going to enjoy doing. You're probably not going to enjoy uh, changing diapers and, and washing dishes and uh, whatever job, the mundane thing you've got to do at your job that helps build the, our society, you know? What, whatever it is, I'm pretty sure Micah did not like preaching this message. It probably was not fun for him to do, to call out the entire leadership of the nation, right? In matter of fact, chapter 1, he says he mourned and wept and howled as a result, right? But we can do it. We can do whatever God is calling us to with the help of the Spirit. See, Micah said, well, I can't, I can't do it. This is not fun, but let me lean on the Lord. Let me lean on the Lord and ask him for the strength to do what he's calling me to do. And the last thing is this, is we got to take heart. Micah said that he was filled with power from the Spirit as he looked to the Messiah, that is the Christ, for the Spirit's help. He said he had courage. And, you know, we can, have, we can take heart, too. We can have courage uh, here today, too. You know, in... The Old Testament, when, the way God dealt with Israel, only certain people were filled with the Spirit. Right? Prophets, priests, kings, whoever, whoever it might be, which was a shadow meant to point us forward to what would happen when the Christ would come, when the Messiah would come. Matter of fact, when, when, when Jesus rose from the dead and God poured out his Spirit on the, on the church, Peter said, listen, this is what God said in, in, in the prophets, like prophets Joel, when God was going to give his Spirit to all the people. Right? That is, all of us who believe in Jesus have the Spirit of God uh, in our lives. So Micah was given this vision of the future, and he saw this. Micah looked out into the future, and he saw all these people streaming to the Messiah, right, and, and being builders of their community. Micah looked out into the future, and no lie, he saw you. He saw what God would do in and through his son, the Lord Jesus, by the Spirit. He saw you. And when he saw that, man, he got courage. He got power. He got, he got filled up with the fullness of God. And that gave him courage. I uh, watched this uh, documentary uh, 
uh, this past week uh, about the intelligence community spying on us. All right? I mean, they're probably listening to me right now, and they come get me whenever they want. It's all good. All right? Yeah, they're listening to me right now. It's okay, but it freaked me out. What in the world? Right, and then I got up the next morning, I read my Bible, and I said, well, whatever, man. Jesus has got way more knowledge about them and us. Right? He knows it all, he sees it all, and he's coming to make it all right. He's coming to set everything right, to set everything straight. So we ought to live in light of the future. That's the whole message of the book of Micah, is the future now. Micah looked out and saw the future. And he said, all right, as for me, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what's right. I'm gonna, I got courage. I got power to do it. We got to live the future now because all these promises are not yet quite fulfilled. Because the world is not quite yet right. But Jesus Christ is coming back. And he's going to make it all right. Jesus is at the control center of the universe, and he is the one who saves us from it all. From all wickedness, from all evil, from our own, the, the presence of sin even that remains in our own lives. Just like um, the uh, song in Christ Alone says, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Well, good news. There's no demon in hell, no devil in hell, no wicked scheme of man, whether it be politician, whether it be some hireling pastor or some um, corrupt church, nothing can pluck us from his hand. So we ought to take heart. We ought to have courage here today, and we ought to go out and live in light of that and do what is right and have the courage to take responsibility uh, in our lives today. And that's what we want to respond to.